people who are going through grief, they know what they're supposed to do. They can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the fact that you're just there gives them strength and gives them hope. Because when you're going through grief, you just think that, look, I'm a, a, I'm an absolute mess. I know everybody's going to want to steer clear of me, but just the fact that people stick around mm. makes them want to fight. This is the Sparrows and Wildflowers podcast. Stories of faith, love, life, loss, and eternity. This is episode number 47 of Sparrows and Wildflowers, and thank you for joining us for it. In this episode, I spoke to Teleli Falatolu, and it was a really fun and interesting and profound conversation. It's at times very funny and fun, but we do also touch on some really deep subjects, including suicide and the loss of a child. And so if that's triggering for anyone, just want to give you a heads up. I really loved the wisdom that Talele had to share. We speak about grief, about walking through grief yourself, as well as walking others through it. We speak about God, about grace, about anxiety, and about music and culture. So I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Talele as much as I did. Here it is. I was born in 1973, born and raised in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, Samoan family, religious background, so I grew up in the Presbyterian Church uh, where we did everything together, you know, we're like one big family, my first best friends were from that church, and um, we're not emotional, you know what I mean, so we didn't say I love you's and stuff like that, we um, we were pretty staunch, rough around the edges. So my family, we liked to play rugby. We drank a lot. We did a lot of silly things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I grew up in that environment. So, but it was fun. It was good just being with my family because I love my my cousins. Growing up, there were a lot of us. I think over first cousins, probably over fifty, sixty. Wow. Yeah. So we every Sunday after church we all had lunch together. And we played cricket together until the afternoon service, or or we played footy or whatever we could play. So we were pretty tight. And so you mentioned it was a it was religious. Like, what was your concept of God like? Oh no, we just went to church on Sunday. That was okay. A, yeah. We just went to church on Sunday. We had to go. You know, if we didn't get up, parents would make us get up, you know. So mm-hmm. it was that kind of vibe. So, But um, as I grew older, teenage years, like me and a lot of my cousins would, you know, would go out all night, Saturday night after a game, would go drink all night. But we had to turn up to church. So we'd turn up to <laughs> church, um, sit at the back with our sunnies on. <laughs> Pretty much sleeping the whole time, and yeah. the whole back smelt like a brewery. <laughs> the whole back of church, so <laughs> it was—it's pretty funny. Did you think that God was real, or did you think it was all just kind of for show? I thought He was real, but not as real as He became yeah, to me. Right. You know, when I when I started, I met some Christian mates, 
and started um, like really getting into the Bible and and praying more and and experiencing moments where um, you know I've never experienced things like that before. Just uh, just moments with the Holy Spirit. It just freaked me out. And then oh yeah, uh, yeah. freaked you out. Because it was like, it just felt so real. Like, mm. you know, we, I come from a macho family, so we don't, we, we're not too emotional. But, you know, I found myself crying, yeah, and stuff like that, and just feeling a deep sense of warmth and love. And, yeah, I just never felt emotions like that before. Mm. Yeah. Was there a particular kind of pivot point or turning point for you? Yeah, well, I went to this um, uh, music school uh, called uh, Fitirea in Wellington, School of Performing Arts, and um, I met some guys. Like, no, I met. I mean, I knew who they were growing up, but um, we like got real close, and um, uh, their names were uh, Sefo Savali and. Um, and they were both Christians so I started hanging out with them and you know I had a potty mouth and, <laughs> and and they were cool you know what I mean like they were still hung out we all still hung out and then they they used to go to these rallies and I'll go with them and I'll be like oh man this is weird you know what I mean we don't clap and dance and you know we sang like growing up we sang at our church but we don't smile yeah right. You know, so it's very formal. Real, real somber, and mm. you know. But then seeing these guys and just seeing the joy, and, and I'm like, you know, because I grew up quite angry. So just seeing the joy inside of them, and I just like, man, I I want a piece of that. So after a while, probably about a year and a half, I I I think I gave my life. You know, and that lasted for a few days. But it's, I was still, you know, really interested in it. And I secretly used to pray a lot. Like for me, growing up in the 80s and that, it wasn't cool to to be soft, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I used to hide a lot of that interest in that stuff. And especially because my, my whole family was like Catholic and Presbyterian, so... But, uh, man, I just, I never felt anything like it before. Was it something that you felt you were missing or did it kind of take you by surprise? Um, I didn't even know it was real, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I didn't, you, you don't know you're missing something you don't know really exists. Yeah. So, yeah, when I stumbled across it, I'm like, man, I want more of this. It's it's funny because I, I grew up, you know, you want to be the baddest guy <laughs> on the block. Like my my dream when I was a teenager was to be the biggest drug dealer in New Zealand. Oh really? Yeah. Did you have like role models who were, or was that um, like well, music? I, um, I used to smoke a lot of weed growing up, and then even got when I was fourteen, I even got and I started selling weed mm-hmm. at school. So. You know, that's all I knew. And then you see guys out there who were drug dealers. I was like, there was this one guy 
and he just had the cars and mm. and all that stuff. And you know, when you don't know anybody, you think that that's success. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see everybody else slogging it out at work nine to five, and I just didn't feel like doing that. So, but then, like deep down inside of me, I had a real yearning to be a good man. You know what I mean? Mm. I had a an, an uncle, not had my uncle who passed away, uh, shout out to uh, my uncle Lapanga Falatolo. He was a reverend uh, down in um, Christchurch. Growing up, I hear stories about him. He was, a, he was a bad guy too, but man, he just became this amazing man of God. And I just wanted to be like him. You know, he was a real inspiration to me. I had another uncle too, who was married to my brother's sister. His name was Ayuluputia Namlulu Ofisa Tunu'u. I know that's long, <laughs> but so when I was growing up, like I used to uh, be a bit of a wild boy. So you know, people used to get frustrated with me and used to tell me, oh, "You'll never be anything," you know, stuff like that. Uh huh. Or either end up dead or in jail. People say that to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, right. Even people in my family, you know mm. what I mean. But looking back, you know, I understood you know, that they were probably trying to steer me in a different direction. Mm-hmm. You know, but he always used to tell me, man, you can, you can, I heard you sing a little bit, Lily. You know, if you really put a lot of time, just practice every day for hours and hours and hours, you can be really good at it, you know what I mean? Or I played f- rugby too. He said to me, man, if you train every day more than everybody else, one day you might be an all black. You know what I mean? So he used to say stuff like that. And I used to, it just used to throw me off because you just never used to hear that, you know, back in my day. Back in my day, it was a lot of comparison stuff. Like, why can't you be like, why can't you be like this cousin? Why can't you be like that cousin? And I just couldn't, you know what I mean? So, but instead of doing that, he used to tell me I could be anything. So from then, I always said, after he passed away, I always said, I'm going to carry on his legacy of encouragement. Yeah, wow. You know, so I've been doing it ever since. That's so good. Is that what you needed to hear was encouragement? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't know it, but that's what everybody needs to hear. You know what I mean? And even that helped me in my times of depression and stuff like that. And, And, you know, when I lost people close to me even that I used to you know try and encourage myself too like you know yeah. you can get through this you know wow yeah it's crazy and so your uncle he called out the singing in you tell me about the singing journey how, how oh, did that so unfold? I started right so I, I couldn't really sing before you couldn't sing no and I uh, and because we got um, we've got quite a musical family but all the guys, we play instruments. You know, we leave the singing to the girls. Because back then, <laughs> it's like even the, even my older cousins, they used to say, mate, you know, singing, we don't sing. You know what I mean? And I, used to, I started off playing the bass, and then I, t- I took a real interest in singing. Because, uh, like, I used to look up to one of my cousins, Alisa Belford. She was an amazing singer and performer, and I just wanted to be like her. And uh, so I just 
took it up and then when my uncle used to encourage me I thought you know what I will I'll, I'll practice scales every day and then I'd do that for like eight hours my parents used to get sick of it you know, eight right? hours a day eight hours every day wow. um, and then all of a sudden I just got better and better and better and then I, I improved uh, faster at singing than I did at bass so I just dropped the bass and just kept with the singing so but then my little brother and sister they used to listen to me and kind of like you know get annoyed because of the noise so that <laughs> like mimic me and then they became better than me oh no way yeah so they're both like they kill me in the singing department oh wow yeah but my little sister she's like me she has a real anxiety when it comes to singing so she doesn't do it at all okay yeah so you have an anxiety i was gonna ask you about yeah. that like because obviously like for anyone who's heard you sing you're really gifted yeah I was wondering, like, is there a confidence that comes with that, or do you get really nervous? No, uh, so I, um, I've never had, like, I've, I started doing it because that's all I could do. I had no, um, I had no school education because I had to leave school early because I was just, I was just too much trouble at school, and um, so singing was all I had. So. I had to like go with it even though I wasn't very confident in it and I'm still like really bad like every time I sing since I first started I vomit every time I sing yeah, really before you still do still even sun um, every Sunday uh-huh. so uh, when I when I hit depression I just stop singing I don't mm. even like if you ask Susie the only time I sing is to practice for church Mm. I don't even like singing. Yeah. Really? Doesn't bring you joy? or? I mean, it does bring it me does? joy, but okay. um, I think my whole thing is, like, I've got a little bit of self-sabotage in me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a big thing at one point, but I still got it in there. So I, I, I don't like singing that much because I don't want to get better at it. So... Hopefully, I don't get rusted anymore. <laughs> I know it's stupid. It does wow. his head in, but the only reason I, I fight through it is because I want the kids to see even though um, something's hard, you can still push through. And because, like, after I, in 2010, when I started coming out of depression, like, God was whispering to me and telling me, hey, I need you to start practicing again and I'm like what for I don't there's nowhere to sing I don't sing anywhere anymore and uh, he'll be like just keep practicing one day I might need you to sing something hmm. so I started doing scales again for no reason and I used to get so upset because I'm like what am, what am I doing why am I doing this and then uh, my friend Vince asked me to do some some covers for him on YouTube for his YouTube channel and then it just started from there and then Dave asked me to sing at church and that just because I'd never ever thought I'd, I'd even be going back to church so mm. and then just it was a light bulb and I'm like okay this is why you because I couldn't sing anymore mm. because uh, once I when I left church because I'd been smoking since I was seven. I had my first cigarette since I was seven, and then pretty much 
smoking full time from like 10. It was a different time back then in the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. So, this is smoking cigarettes, not cigarettes. weed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, cigarettes. Yeah. So, um, when I totally left church, I went back to smoking like 60 rollies a day. Mm, that's a lot. Yeah. And um, I pretty much blew my lungs out and mm. I got mild emphysema, which is really bad. So, um, I couldn't sing a line without coughing my guts out. Yeah, right. And so I just thought, oh, don't even worry about it. So that's why yeah. I stopped. I mean, yeah. I was glad to stop. And I never sang again for another five, six years. Yeah, wow. Well. But now, like I know I'm called to do it. And I want to be obedient, you know what I mean? As hard as that is, like I just want to be obedient. There's times when I first started singing back at church, the anxiety was so bad, like I almost passed out like three times. Yeah. You know, and I I used to say to the team, like, apologize beforehand. I just want to apologize in case I pass out on the ground. But I just had to push through. It's like a vicious cycle, man, when you you have anxiety that stops you from doing stuff and then the self-hatred because you quit. Mm grows even more mm-hmm. which makes you even more anxious mm. so I'm like nah I'm not gonna I can't quit anymore because it's just it's killing me do you want to feel that yeah cycle? I just like every time I look in the mirror I can't even look in the mirror because I'm like because I stopped fighting mm. you know I mean? so I'm like as hard as it was I just had to get back on the horse and just have a crack man with a whether I, uh, you know, I pass out or not, like I've had to go to the hospital three times, just the panic attacks, just too much. Yeah. Like I felt like I was having a massive heart attack. But, you know, I carry on. I'm not dead. Just carry on. And it's, you know, thank God it seems to bless people. So I just want to help people, whatever, however that looks. Yeah, that's very admirable. So let's circle back to how you kind of ended up getting there. So you were in music college. Yeah. You kind of made this year and a half long transition to becoming a Christian. Yep. And then this is still in New Zealand? Still in New Zealand, yeah. How did you kind of end up singing like with Hillsong in Australia? So then uh, after school, I spent like a a couple years um, like doing studio singing I was doing background vocals for some uh, some big singers in New Zealand and then I uh, my brother got a chance to go to this Christian performing arts school in Auckland so I thought you know I um, I went my cousin also Fugi um, she she went to audition as well and she asked me if I could come uh, help her out in the audition do a duet so we did the duet and then afterwards we went outside and the music director came outside and had a chat to me and said hey you know we want you to come to the school um, so I thought oh no I'm good bro <laughs> yeah I'm good yeah. so um, that a uh, few months went by and my brother got in unfortunately my cousin didn't get in and I just thought you know what I'll just go I'll go have a go and see how it goes so I moved up to Auckland with my brother 
and did that for a couple of years. And then after that, I joined a band, like I met a man, Carl Gavitt, uh, through the school. So me and my brother joined his band and from Excel School of Performing Arts. And then uh, we ended up moving to Australia to try and get a record deal. And we were looking for a place in the city to be closer to the gigs from New Zealand, but um, we could only find a place in Glenwood. So, All right. Yeah, Sydney so we Hills. moved to Glenwood. Yeah. And then uh, between gigs, we got uh, night filling jobs at Castle Towers Coles. Mm-hmm. So we'd drive past Hills every day, and we thought, oh, this, we'll go check that church out. We don't know it was Hillsong because it was called Hills Christian Life Center, you know? Uh-huh. And everybody around the world thought it was called Hillsong Church. Right. So we just went in there one day, and then um, it was amazing. Like, I just felt the juice as soon as I got there, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, wow. You know, until I stepped away, but then I came back. Mm. Yeah, so that's how we ended, That's how we got there. So you became quite involved, hey? Yeah, so I got there, and then um, I joined the choir. And Darlene Check, when she found out that we played in a band and we sung all right she asked me um, if I could sing at the front and I was like for a couple maybe a year and a bit I said oh no I'm cool I'll just stay in the choir because of like the anxiety yeah it was too much like you know a gig's all right there's there's probably maybe you know at max probably 70 to 100 people but church is a lot of people man yeah, at Hillsong Mary's, yeah. I, I preferred to hide in the crowd, uh, in the choir. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, after about a year and a half, she came up to me and she said, you're singing on Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, and and then straight away I said, oh, yeah, okay, sweet. And she, she said to me, oh, do us right. So there's this Māori man that used to sing in the worship team, like we always used to look up. To him, he's like, oh, gee, his name is Gilbert Clark. And his wife, Tua, who's um, a Samoan lady, she's actually related to me, like distant cousin. Okay. So she said to Dows, with brown boys, you don't ask them, you tell them. Because <laughs> we're submissive people. Right. Yeah. So, and I'm like, ah, oh, Tua, why did, you, <laughs> why did you tell her the tricks of the trade, man? So... I've been singing at the front since then. Wow. So, yeah. Do you ever find, like, being on platform, is it all, like, um, anxiety and insecurity that you struggle with, or has ego ever been something that's uh, been hard? You know what? I'm. It's crazy. Like, coming from my background, like, we grew up wanting to be the best at everything. You know uh-huh. what I mean? We wanted to beat everybody. So. I'm very egotistical. Right. And I can't stand that about myself. Hmm. So every time I I, um, I feel that coming up, I just get annoyed so bad. So like over years, I've pretty much, I mean, it's it, stuff will always be in there. You just got to make the choice to like, don't even pay any attention to it. But I mm-hmm. hate, I hate that stuff. You know, because um, I think I kind of learned that, but Polynesian people were not that way inclined, you know what I mean? 
we're we're pretty humble lot, but uh, now nah, the anxiety is um, I just like I'll be okay singing if I'm in the studio and there's nobody around. Yeah, it's just you know I wish I could. Like I always pray, man. I just once would just love to enjoy singing up there. Yeah. Uh huh. But you know, at the same time, I I also think because of my anxiety, it keeps me locked into the Holy Spirit because I'm like, mm. please don't fall over or don't pass out. Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Just stay with me and. I think it's helped my singing, actually, so. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Do you have some good memories from that whole time singing? And, and you toured, I believe, with some yeah, of the, yeah. Um, yeah, they were all good. Like, uh, going on my first tour, when they first asked me, because I'd never been to America, so it was, like, amazing. Was it a culture shock? It was. Yeah. It was. It was. Some of the churches, or like one in particular, one of the churches down south, it was a bit, it was a small church in Baton Rouge. It was a bit rough. Mm. Yeah, so that was like, yeah. Uh That was a bit different, but, you know, I got past that one, but, (laughs) yeah. Wow. So, um, but it was amazing. Hardly got any sleep. It's just, you know, singing every day. It's hard enough singing once every three months when I sing at church, but singing every, nearly every day. It's draining. Oh, it's, it was hard work. Yeah. It was hard work, um, but um, I still loved it. It was a blast, man. And you met your now wife, Susanna, in that yeah. environment? No, no. I'm, so I met her at, like I seen her around, and then I met her properly in in powerhouse and youth so um, and that's the young adults yeah. ministry young adults ministry so she came up to me and pastor Andrew Hoyes who was the head of powerhouse back in those days uh, he wanted to do some cultural nights so um, Islander nights um, South American nights Asian nights so we had to she came up to me and she asked me look pastor Andrew asked me if you could help me out you know, do uh, lead these, lead the worship for these South American nights, and and I'm like, oh man, you're gonna have to teach me how to speak the lingo. So, um, because be, she's South American, South American yes. yeah, so she's Peruvian, mm-hmm. and um, so she taught me. I'd be over at her place, and she taught me um, how to sing the songs. We all became friends, like with me, and. Um, Julian talking about George Danzi, Susie and Lydia, you know, and uh, and a few other people. So we became real, real close. And then we had a. She kind of like liked me, and I kind of like liked her, but we didn't want to mess up the friendship. Yeah, right. The, you know the group dynamics. So mm-hmm. we just like, nah, don't worry about it. And then one day, Pastor Andrew came up to me and said, "Hey." Um, do you like Susie? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like as as a mate. And he said, oh, okay, cool. I don't, <laughs> I don't want you to hang out with her ever again. Oh. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, what do you mean? What are you talking about? 
He said, because there's a lot of good guys that want to have a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. But you're in the way because they think that you two are together. Uh. And I'm like, okay, you're right. That makes sense. So we stopped being friends. A few months later, we saw each other at something. She wasn't talking to me and I wasn't talking to her. It was just silly. Yes, I said to her at the end of the night, yeah, we got to have a chat. So we talked afterwards and I'm like, look, we just put it all out there. You know, I miss you. I like you more than a friend. And she was like, I feel the same way. And so we were like, let's go for it. Let's see how it goes. That's awesome. Yeah. So then we started going out. We broke up about 11 times. <laughs> <laughs> and then we finally got married in 2011. So. So cute. We were, yeah, so we were together, what, probably seven years, eight years. But when I went through depression, it was just too hard for her. Yeah, yeah, so let, if you don't mind, let's talk about that. Yeah, so, so um, yeah. my brother passed away tragically. Mm. Um, he committed suicide, so. I'm really sorry. That's Yeah, yeah. it was tough. It was yeah. tough. And I was kind of like cool with it, but I think I was in denial for the first um, two, three months. We had to and, process oh. something like that acting like nothing happened mm-hmm. and then I crashed and I couldn't get out of it I was in a man, and, I, and I thought depression was garbage I right. didn't think it was real yeah right I thought mate just having a bad day like snap out of it but man it is so real I could not believe the mental torment like I was going through and I was suicidal that whole time like, for how long? Oh, did for like this six go? years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, it was like so hard for Susie. And that whole time I was trying to push her away too because I was like, man, you can do better. You know what I mean? Get away from me. You were trying to push, help her. Yeah, but, just. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, and she, she wanted to stay so bad, you know, because she loved me. And I appreciate the loyalty so much, but, you know, there was. There were days where she just couldn't do it anymore, like, and then, you know, she'd leave and then she'd come back and she'd be, like, so upset because she'd be like, you know, I leave and then I pray, you know, I pray to God. And God tells me every time, no, you have to stay by him, you know, mm. you got to help her, help him. And I'm like, yeah, but he keeps pushing me away. So she was confused, Yeah, you know, the whole time. And then um, she was trying to get me to go to counselling for so long, and I'm like, I can't do it. Is that because you weren't used to sharing emotions? Yeah, we yeah. just don't, you know. Yeah. In my culture, we just don't share. You know, we just don't share stuff like that. We don't open up. And you feel that, like it's inappropriate or it's uncomfortable? Oh, we just, I've always growing up thinking it was weak it was weak yeah okay. so um, we just didn't do it mm-hmm. like I never saw my old man cry until my brother passed away I just um, 
But then it just got to the point where I'm like, I was on my last legs and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go have a crack at this counseling thing. If it doesn't work, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. Wow. So I went and I did it and I just let everything out because I knew if I, if I wasn't completely honest, it wasn't going to work. Mm. So I said everything, you know, spilled the beans and everything. And um, she gave me tools. And like over the next couple of weeks, I did a full 180. Really? Yeah. The depression's still there. I mean, it's still here now. Like this week, every... Every year this week, because my daughter who passed away, it's her birthday. It's her birthday on Friday. It's hard, like, um, it's always a hard week yeah. for me and Susie. And it's, I mean, it's funny. It's kind of like sad too, but the week of um, Raquel's birthday, me and Susie, we just fight all week. You know, we just attack each other all week and then. The day after her birthday, we're fine again. We we don't know why it happens, but it just happens every year. So it's a toughie. But the counseling helped heaps, and um, like I still get the blues, but I just use the tools. You know what I mean? Stay in the word, separate the truth from the lies. Uh, never go off emotion, mm. um, because you know. Especially being a, a musician, like you know, you you delve a lot into the emotional side of who you are, mm. and that's dangerous because a lot of times when you feel down as a muser, you stay in that place. And so, I, I never go off emotion. I just stick to the word as much as I can. Sometimes I I miss the mark, but. Uh, most of the time I try and because it's just too dangerous for me to think about my feelings and mm. stuff like that you know what I mean it's hard isn't it because you don't want to completely shut it down like yeah. you oh, have experienced uh, but you don't want to go a down a rabbit hole yeah for yeah. sure yeah for sure so I try and stay as soft as I can without uh, turn into a pile of mush. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to episode 47 of Sparrows and Wildflowers with Chilele Falatolu. And now here is a short excerpt from episode 38 with John Dixon. But it seems to me that from the very beginning of Christianity and in many parts of the world today, like China and the Middle East, Christians can be more authentically Christian when they don't have power when they really can display to people that it's possible to love your enemies, it's possible to profoundly love and respect people you disagree with. And this is, this is a thing that's dying in our entire culture, it seems to me, the ability to profoundly disagree and get along at the same time. Mm. Um, and I think Christianity has, has resources within itself to make that an art form because we're the people who believe that God loves us despite ourselves. He doesn't love us because we're really cool. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us 
through and through regardless of how we fail. Mm. And Christians ought to be those kinds of people in society. That was a snippet of my conversation with John Dixon in episode 38, available wherever you found this episode. And now, back to my conversation with Jalali Falador. So when you tragically lost your brother and you went into this period of depression, is that when you stopped singing yeah. and you, you quit church, you said as yeah, well? Yeah, I stopped going because I wasn't... Yeah. Like when I, I started at church, I was still making silly mistakes. Like, you know, I, I started going to church at 2000, so I would have been 27. So, like, I still had a lot of bad habits that, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, like I was still smoking throughout that time. Sometimes I go out and get on the drink. You know, I was, there'll be times where I'll drink too much, get too drunk. So I make a lot of mistakes. Uh, so when my brother passed away, it was easy for me to leave church because I'm like, man, I'm not very good at this Christian thing anyway. <sighs> but now that I'm older, you know, I know that nobody is. Yeah. You know, it's a journey yeah. for everybody, for everybody. But, you know, uh-huh. I didn't know that back then. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I knew that back then. I wouldn't have lost so much time. But, I, you know, I wouldn't, re- I don't regret anything. Like, it was important for me to to go through that stuff. And, yeah. And, and it was kind of messed up. I had a transactional faith where I um, thought, mate, if I serve my guts out, I'll get some points up there, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I was serving so much, I just had no time to for my relationship with with him, mm. and it just didn't work. So now it's different. Like relationship was so important for me. And now that I'm older, like we got a million singers at church, so you know I try and get rusted on as least as possible. Yeah, you know. Especially because I got babies, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, my all like most of my energy must go into my wife and to my kids. Yeah, that's good. You know. When you did step away from church for those years, did you step away from your faith, or was it really just from church? You know what? I always loved God, and my whole thing was no, it wasn't anger of God. I'm like, no. You know, because because growing up, as as somebody who always did the opposite to what he was told, you know, you, I was so used to frustrating my parents that I used, I thought to myself, man, I'm just gonna get out of the way because you know, I'm pretty sure I frustrate you, so hmm. you know, I'll just stay over here. You know, I still know you're real, but. And then, you know, the enemy gets in there and thinks and, and, and like, made me think, see, you know, like, you know, maybe you caused your brother's passing. Oh, wow. You know, because he's, I mean, you know how the word says he comes to kill and destroy your whole life. So Mm. he's not going to go soft on you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he, he uses anything to destroy your mind to destroy your peace so i had all that stuff and i'm you know i'm a yeah. bit of a mental case anyway so that stuff was all going in my head and and the depression wasn't helping and you know 
like I, I made a lot of mistakes and I want to be perfect now you know what I mean mm-hmm. and that's how a lot of people look at it like yeah we become Christians we 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 think that everything magically is is gonna get better mm-hmm. you're gonna be perfect straight away but it yeah. doesn't happen that way and it frustrates a lot of people yeah when it doesn't work out that way you just gotta live your life one choice good choice at a time like you get to one situation make the right choice next situation make the right choice and the more you do it the better you're gonna get at it you know mm. what i mean and i still remember that even when i was going when i left church because every day i said to myself I'm going to start doing it that way. Uh, but, um, you know, I just put it off for so long because it just, even that seemed hard. You know mm. what I mean? Trying to get it right every single time, that just, that just seemed too hard for me. But, you know, when I had no choice and I, I got to the end of my rope, I thought, I'm going to start doing that. So I did it. And over years, I just get, you just get good at it. You know what I mean? Mm. It just becomes automatic. Making the right choice becomes automatic. So I still think like that. By nature, I'm a bad guy. But I I must be a good man by choice. I will be a good man by choice. Yeah, because I, I want to be a good man so bad. Like I want to, you know, I just want to be remembered as a good man. Mm. You know, uh, I want to be remembered as a kind man. You know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a leader. Uh, I'm just Lily on Mark 6. And I play my position the best that I can. You know, every day I try to be kind to everyone I come across. I want to be, because I want respect, I try and respect every person. You know, and I just do those little things, man. It's awesome. And then going back to like the grief of of losing your brother yeah. and then losing your baby Raquel. Yeah. I think and I mean let me know if this doesn't resonate with you but something I've observed when people lose somebody is it's a really hard tension of healing and continuing with your life but honoring that that memory and that loss and the fact that they're absent every day do you feel like you have found a healthy way to do that um i think like to be truthfully honest like if my brother hadn't passed away and i didn't go through that um losing raquel would have killed me Mm. and that's a fact Mm. you know because i'm a passionate person and it's um it's one of my biggest downfalls. So the, the the night we found out that um, we went for a checkup, was she was thirty eight weeks, and everything was fine. A couple of days later, Susie was like really worried because she hadn't kicked all day. Mm. Come the evening, I was like, "Is she kicking yet?" She said, "No, I'm worried, babe. We need to go to the hospital." So we were like caught up Hawkesbury Hospital and said hey we're coming out we need um, we need to check see make sure baby's okay so we went out there um, and they checked and then they told us like 
baby's heart stopped. Um, she's she's no longer here. So we just broke down, and we were crying so hard. And then we had to go in the car, drive home, and then on the drive home. I was looking for the nearest pole. I started driving like a hundred and I was just going to drive straight into the pole because I'm crazy like that. You know what I mean? And Susie was like, Lena, what are you doing? What are you doing? She was screaming at me. And I'm like, man, we're going to be with Raquel. And then a cop came out of nowhere, like 11 o'clock at night on a Monday night and stopped us. We had to do a random breath test. And I believe uh, that God put that cop out there. Because no, no, who, nobody goes out on a Monday night, mm. you know what I mean? So I thought, okay, thank, thanks for stopping me from doing that. But I was just, and I couldn't even see the road, like the tears were so thick in my eyes. But then from then on, um, because Susie, Susie really broke uh, emotionally, mentally from that. We had to move back to her parents because she just needed her her mum around. So uh, that experience from my brother helped me to uh, step up because I knew I'd been through it before and I could see Susie going through the same thing. Mm. Um, then I knew, man, I got to step out and help my girl out because she's cracking. So I just. Uh, was there for her, even though I was struggling privately. In front of Susie, I had to be strong for her, but privately, like when I go to work, I'd be crying all day. And um, every time I'm driving home, I'm crying all, all the time. Even now, I'm like, I try not to think about cows too much because every time I think about it, it just makes me cry. Because, you know, like, she's the captain of my swim team, you know what I mean? Because me and Susie couldn't have babies. That's another story, but there's too many stories. Man. <laughs> That's okay. So that, she was like a miracle yeah, baby. She was then, a miracle baby yeah. because I got tested when I was 19 because I was getting a bit too frisky back then. So I um, had to get some tests to make sure I was all right. Mm-hmm. And then I, that's when I found out that I couldn't have babies. So, And that was the biggest reason. And I didn't know it until later when I got married why I never got serious in relationships because mm. I was always embarrassed to tell girls I can't have kids mm-hmm. you know what I mean because back then it was like mate when you're shooting duds it was you're you're not a real man you know what I mean right so subconsciously I thought that that whole time but then when I told Susie I finally told her look I can't have kids and she said to me, like from day one, hey, where's your faith? You know, we'll believe. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Let's believe for kids. So, and then I thought, yeah, let's get married. So we got married. And then about like after a couple of, two and a half years maybe of trying, then Susie started getting worried and was like, hey, maybe we should go get tests. And I'm like, no, 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 you're going to kill my faith, man. I don't want to go get tests because I know what they're going to say. Mm. A little while went longer and I could see the frustration. So in her eyes, so I thought, nah, let's go get, let's go do the test. And then we went to do the test 
And then test results came back, and sure enough, they told me, sorry, mate, no. Instead of swimming, you guys are just laying by the pool, sunbathing. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh. Uh-huh. So I was, I started, I, I got a little bit depressed after that. Mm. Yeah, because. And this is all after you'd come through that yeah, long after period I came of through depression. That, after we got married. Yeah. And then, um, I used to pray all the time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even, uh, I know it sounds weird, but I even used to like talk to the guys. I'm like, man, somebody's got to get in the water and start swimming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm like, please, please. I'm scared. Cause I was, like, it was a real feeling for me. Like, I'm scared your mom's going to leave. Uh. If no one gets in the water, man, like somebody's got to get in the water and start swimming. And that's why I call, uh, Kelsey, captain of my swim team, because she was the first one. But see, even then, like I, I feel like if Raquel didn't get in there, Frankie wouldn't have had the guts to get in there. And then Sugar, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I'm always grateful for for Raquel for doing that and giving, you know, everybody else on the swim team courage to get off the starting blocks, you know. I mean, it sounds weird how I was saying, but... No, it's awesome. Were you mad at God? Um, no. Well, I kind of was like, what's going on? No, I was never mad at him because, you know, by that time, I know who God is, right? Mm. And I don't want to, I don't want him to smite me from the earth. So I'm like, Look, healthy fear <laughs> I, I stay in my lane I know who you are yeah but it's like why don't you like me like mm. why can't you know why can't I I get a win yeah you know and then I, I I'd have to for my own sanity I'd have to pray all the time for understanding and um, mm. you know and, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to my my heart and and uh, said to me, you know, because I've been thinking about how I do things, you know, the, the, my transactional faith. And I felt like God was saying to me, Lele, if nothing good ever happened to you ever again, would you still love me? And I was like, I was like so broken and crying. And I'm like, yeah, I would. Mm. I'll, st- I'll always love you even if nothing good ever happened because I know just like you know I want unconditional love from the person who you want to love you you know what I mean I know God yearns for the same and I feel I felt like you know I was just using him just to get you know the perks of doing good things and so from then on I was like you know I'm sweet. And he told me too at the same time, look, don't be sad. Like, you know, Raquel's here with me. Mm. Um, she's going to be here cheering you on, you know, so just go hard uh, and we'll all be together again. So don't worry, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I I, went hard again to try, I want to I wanna make her happy, I want to make her proud, you know what I mean? I want to make yeah. all my kids proud. I want mm. them to look at me and, and and be proud of who their dad is, you know? 
That's cool. So, yeah, I'm so glad that I got that revelation. Because yeah. I, I, I was so close to, like, um, losing my mind again. Mm. Yeah, because, yeah. What, what um, insights would you have for people about walking someone else through grief? Because, you know, you had Suze walking you through your yeah. grief and then you, her, and, and then together as well. Yeah, uh, I, had a lot of, I had a lot of good friends in my family. Man, just mm. with the whole grief thing is don't try and fix nothing. You just mm. got to be there because um, people who are going through grief, they know what they're supposed to do. They can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the fact that you're just there gives them strength, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, um, and gives them hope. Because when you're going through grief, you just think that, look, I'm a, a, I'm an absolute mess. I know everybody's going to want to steer clear of me, but just the fact that people stick around mm. makes them want to fight. You know what I mean? It might not, because this is the thing, everybody's different. I didn't know this back then. I had a, a few mates back in the day go through depression, and even um, I was so insensitive, and I'd like call them up, and I'm like, mate, how not, mate? Mm. You know what I mean? Knowing what I know now, so because my mates did that for me, like anybody that's going through stuff, mate, I just stick. Whatever they need, I'm there. You know what I mean? Even if. I remember Ian Fisher used to come down to my house and I'd be like a zombie. This is when I first left church. I'd be just sitting in front of the TV. I'd just be watching TV, not even talk to him, just get drunk. And he'd just sit there with me. Hmm. And then he'd be like, okay, Lele, I better get going now. I'll see you next week. You know what I mean? And just stuff like that. My mates used to do the same. Like, I was in such a bad place and... I was not a good mate, and they stuck with me. You know, my 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 guys, George Danzi, uh, Julian Tonginivalu, you know, Pete's brother. They used to, Kevin Var, you know, Johnny Leotongi, Claire Lafayette, all the Paitai girls, you know, Carl and Gavitt, like, you know, I'm so grateful to all these guys. And, you know, I'll never forget what they did for me. You know what I mean? So I try and do the same for anybody else that needs it. They stuck with me. You know, they they didn't have to. So I try and do the same. That's good. Just stick around. Just stick around, man. Because anyone can around. do that. Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. I'm so big on loyalty. I don't subscribe mm. to this, you know, uh, I, um, look for better mates. I just, you know, I'm so loyal because then... I, I look at Jesus' example, right? Mm-hmm. Mate, most of the disciples, to be honest, they were duds. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, so he should have got a whole new dozen, except for his brother. Like, his mum would have got angry. You know what I mean? So he would have had to keep his brother. <laughs> but Pete, you know what I mean? But no. And I always used to think of that. Why? Why didn't you get some established believers? Yeah. But he didn't and he stayed loyal to them mm. and you know because I'm supposed to be Christ like I'm going to do the same mm. so I'm loyal to all my people to the end and that's big with me you know especially because when people are loyal to me oh 
And that's what helped me get out of the hole. It was like, mm. you know what? If these people love me, it's got to be worth it for me to keep fighting. Wow. So you just stick, man. You can't fix people's problems. And God, this is the thing. We got a, especially these days, like we got a little timeline we like to stick to, right? So it's like, okay, you, you got two months to sort your stuff out. And then after two months, I got to, I got to move on. You know what I mean? So see you later. But if God doesn't think like that, why do we? I don't yeah. get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So each to their own, not, not judging anybody else, but I can't do that. Mm. You know? And that's another thing is you just got to do what God's called you to do. You can't push stuff on people, on other people. You can't expect other people to do things a certain way. You just got to stay in your lane because that's the thing that got me off track before was looking at other people and wishing I was like them, wishing I had my stuff together like them. And then, you know, I'm not looking at the road that I'm driving on and I end up crashing. Mm. You know, so just you're on your journey, stay in your lane, do the best that you can, help everybody that um, you come across, you know what I mean, if you can, Mm. you know. Whatever you can do, do. I yeah. like that. I like that advice because you you don't need a special skill set or even the right no, words really or whatever. Don't. And I thought yeah. you did. Yeah. You don't. You just got to stick, man. It's good. So you came back to church. Yeah. And then, if I'm getting the timeline right, you were around for quite a while before you started singing on the the stage the platform again yeah so i um so what happened was i started coming back to church and god had been speaking to me and saying hey if church asks you to do something you know whatever they need whatever church leadership needs me to do i will do so pastor dave where when he was at um david where when he was at southwest he asked me to sing for his testimony. So I did that, and then I did another thing, and then I'm like, cool. And David had been asking me for a long time, bro, when are you going to get back on the roster? And I'm like, ah, oh, no. Too old. You know, like, bring the young guys through. Like, you, you got so many, you got hundreds of guys on the roster. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, sweet. He'd do that like at least once every month, every two months, you know what I mean? Ask me. So you want me to put you on the roster? <laughs> and I'm like, it's so funny, like, because um, in my mind, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm 50. Are you? Yeah, you just feel washed up. Well, I'm 46, but. Okay, you're yeah. jumping ahead. <laughs> well, whenever I, when I turned 20, I was 30. When I turned 30, I was 40. So I've been <laughs> okay. 50 for about six years. <laughs> yeah, I just rounded off to the next 10. Um, but um, I'm just like, no, just leave it. I don't see any of my old guys, you know, on there anymore. And then I saw, which was really encouraging for me, I saw Steve Ollis up there. And that encouraged me. I'm like, man, Steve's OG, you know. So... <laughs> I thought, okay, okay, I'll have a crack. If Steve's mm. up there, I'll have a crack. 
So I got back on. Sunday's a tough day for me because I start I work I start work at four p.m. and finish at ten a.m. the next day. I work in mm. uh, I'm a disability carer, residential. All right. Yeah. So that asks me. Okay. So how often uh, do you want to be rostered? So I ask, please, can you roster me on like once every six months? Because mm-hmm. then I get up five thirty to go to rehearsal. We're not done till like one o'clock, mm. and then I go home. You know, have a quick bite and then I've got to go do an 18-hour shift so that's a lot oh, it's a long day so um, and then they said how, how about we meet in the middle you do three months every once every two months so we just started with that nice yeah but you know I'll, I'll try and do as much as I can I don't know if this was a significant moment for you but um, something that I remember looking from the outside is a couple of years ago, the Hillsong United team released the People album. Yeah. And uh, I think Joel pulled you up to sing the song As You Find Me. Yeah. Was that, did that really, was that a song that resonated with you? Was there something special around that moment? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Joel came up to me. Um, I met him at team night, like, a few weeks before, or maybe a month before, uh, he said to me, Lele, I, I need you to sing on the next album. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And then... Uh, you didn't think he was serious? No, nah, I mean, you know, Joel's got a million ideas. Right. He's so creative. He's got mm. a million ideas going through his head. So, But then a few uh, weeks later, he came up to me, and and said, Lele, I got the song. I need you to sing it. I would sing it, but I can't stop crying when I sing it. So mm. I need you to sing it for me. And then um, I, yeah, I said, yeah, yeah, let me take a look at it. And then I, I was reading the lyrics and he was singing it to me. And I was like trying not to cry. I'm like, did you write the song for me? And he was like, nah write the song for all of us mm. you know what I mean we all go through stuff and I'm like okay sweet because I, I I felt like this was such an important song and um, and I felt like if I didn't sing it he might not have done it at all so mm. and I really didn't want to sing it so <laughs> yeah so it was bad so what uh, about it resonated with you? Why did why ju- was it so just powerful? Just the whole message of mm. like wanting to to get it right, but always getting it wrong, and and you know loving God so much, but feel so ashamed that you keep letting Him down, and you know and, and wanting to believe that um, His grace is enough, but struggling with the tension of that you know what I mean and so it's just all those things that I had been going through mm. uh, I, I felt like you know it was all on on paper so yeah I just I knew it was going to be so hard for me and it was the hardest thing because the night before I sang the song I couldn't sleep for three three days so every time I sing at church I can't sleep the whole night 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And then you do your 18 hour shift. And then I do my 18 hour shift. <laughs> That's so, the sacrifice. Yeah, I'm struggling. So, um, yeah. when I do sing at church um, and I get to work, I have about at least seven coffees just to get seven me Seven coffees? Yeah, have to. And oh, then wow. two in the morning when I'm singing. Yeah, right. So, that, for that song, man, um, I couldn't sleep three days. Um, my anxiety and stress level was so high. Um, I couldn't even move my mouth because I had seven ulcers in my mouth. Oh, wow. It was crazy. Was it worth it? It was so worth it because I knew it was going to help somebody. Mm. And uh, what it is for me now, like, I don't even care about singing, man. I've never cared about... Uh, pats on the back and compliments. I mean, I don't even listen to the songs I sing. Oh, you don't? Never have. Mm. I just don't like it. Uh, and that's mainly because uh, I hate the ego in me. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because then back in the day, like for, not through church stuff, but other stuff I used to listen, I used to think, man, that's pretty cool. You know, and then I totally take away um, the power that I got from the Holy Spirit to be able to sing those songs and for the Holy Spirit to speak through me so I just don't listen to it at all mm. I know it's weird bro but it's that I constant think, battle yeah. that I have so I don't listen to it the only mm. time I hear it is when the kids listen to it oh that must be nice yeah, yeah I like it when they hear it but when they yeah. hear it I'll go to another room okay <laughs> do they sing? they love it they love singing Aww. and I hate that they love singing. <laughs> yeah, really? I'm like, oh, I just don't want them to do music. Because of the cost it brings to you? Or um, like- yeah, because I, I don't, like, hopefully they don't, because singing for me, and I learned this through Darling Jack, I take it so serious now. Before I was just singing songs, you know what I mean? Before I became a Christian. Mm. But now, like, I remember, you know, going to a, a rally one time and being touched by the Holy Spirit because I know somebody up there must have been locked in. You know what I mean? And when I sing, I gotta be locked in. Once I'm not, I feel like I'm not getting being locked in anymore. I'm not even gonna sing anymore. Mm-hmm. I'll just hang the, I'll hang microphone six up and that'll be it. Mm. Um, but yeah, because I know. There's somebody, even more so now because it's online, you know what I mean? Before I used to think there's somebody in here that's in, that's so broken, this is their last shot. And, you know, I need them to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. So, I, so I've got to be locked in. And I don't, if they ever sing at church, I want them to be, to, to have that same uh, passion. You know what I mean? Not, not, not go crazy about it, but understand, look, this is the way it is. You know, if you're caught to this, this is what it is. If you so don't wait. like it, don't do it. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, like, I always wanted to be, get a Grammy, right? I always wanted to be, um, it was from the first time I heard Michael Jackson sing, I wanted, mm. I wanted a Grammy. I wanted to have a, a a successful musical career and you know a lot of musicians when it doesn't work out that way a lot of them get so down mm-hmm. you know so I, 
I would prefer, I'm not gonna, I can't force them, but I would prefer them stay away from music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Do something else, you know, go be a computer hacker or something. <laughs> <laughs> do you enjoy the work that you do professionally now? Love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. So at the time, I had a friend that used to work there and uh, he got me an interview. Uh, I had no experience and um, I'd been out of work for a couple of years. So um, Susie found out about the interview. I turned it down because I'm like, what's the point? I've got no qualifications. I've never worked in that industry. And because I've been out of work, Susie said to me, hey, I heard about the interview and I heard you turned it down. You, you know you're going to take that interview, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't been working for two years. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, nice. And I'm like, what's the point? They're not going to give me the job. So I went. And it was purely because of my size they gave me the job. Oh, right. Yeah, because um, I was working uh, in the day service where uh, the behaviors are quite high. So uh, because of my size, it makes them think twice about about um, acting out. That's the only reason I got the job. And I was like, oh man, I didn't expect that. But working with those guys, that gave me so much perspective, man, because I looked at them and I was like, man, they never asked for this, you know? Yeah. They can't do anything about this situation. It softened my heart and I love working. And I, the thing I love about it is, you know, and, 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 like my line of work and especially with social media and that like you know you do you do everybody does things where everybody can see where you can't people can't see what you do there they can't see how much you care for these guys and I always want you know I, I wanted to to make sure that I'm giving them the best even though no one can see it and that's been the best for me because mm. you know? when you man when you do good for others you win you know I mean they win everybody wins but man you win man mm -hmm. like what it does in your heart without you even knowing yeah and that's why I like it it's uh, I just love it I love the job it's so good yeah and what are your hopes for the future? Um, I don't know. I've been thinking of um, just uh, I don't know, man. I just um, say yes more to opportunities instead of saying no, and uh, be more obedient to God. Um, like I want to do some. I want to get into e-commerce stuff. I don't know. I just want to leave something for the kids, you know, when I'm, when I'm dead and buried. Mm. So, we'll see, I don't know. I'm trying to become more business-minded. And then just to finish on, how would you sum up what's kind of at the core of what you believe? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Look, when I got saved, you know, you get those moments where you just feel the vibe, you know what I mean? And it, 
it takes time to, like any relationship, to build a, a deep relationship with with God. Well, man, this is what I believe. You just got to be consistent and sticking with it. You know, things don't, sometimes stuff happens. You know what I mean? That's life. Mm. You know, I, I bet if Jesus had it his way, he wouldn't have got tortured and hung on a cross and killed. You know what I mean? But stuff happens. Like, you just stick it out because there's better days ahead and there's eternity. Like, eternity is this, yeah. For me, that's the end goal is but relationships together together sometimes it's tough sometimes you you're a little unsure but just stick at it and things aren't perfect sometimes it gets a little rocky on the road but you know it's, it's look life life is life man sometimes it'll get better sometimes it'll get worse you don't know but eternity's there so mm. just keep going and don't let anything don't let anything get you off track you know what I mean because because it can it can derail you like I lost I lost a lot of years because I let things derail me and uh, I remember one thing uh, from a song from DC Talk way back in the day you know even when the walk becomes a crawl just keep moving forward and you know, even like with me, when stuff doesn't go right, I, as long as I got my peace, I'm good. You know, and that's all I yearn for is is, is that peace. You know, and, and the knowledge that God's on the throne. One day I'm gonna get old and decrepit, pass away, but I'm good. You know what I mean? I'll be, my whole family will all be together, you know, as, as well as all my Christian brothers and sisters. And, and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> 